Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. All right, everybody, this is a How We Solve live stream, and I'm super duper excited to have Mike Payton on the call. For those of you who know me better, they know that I'm a total EOS nerd. It has been absolutely mind-blowing when I read the book and I've implemented in all of my businesses and in a bunch of businesses of my friends, and everybody loves it. It's really a game changer if you you run a business and you don't want to lose hair or don't want to get gray hair, I highly recommend that you read it. It's, It's super impactful. So I'm super stoked to have Mike on. Mike Payton is the visionary at EOS Worldwide. That's the company behind EOS. Mike has spent most of his life learning from entrepreneurs, and today he spends all of his time giving back as an author, award-winning speaker, a certified EOS implementer, and the global ambassador of EOS worldwide. Mike um, helps entrepreneurs to clarify, simplify, achieve their vision by mastering the simple concepts and practical tools he will be sharing with us today. Mike, thank you very much for coming on. It's 11.30 p.m., but I'm totally up and, and, and hyped. <laughs> Chris, I'm so excited to have you. It's uh, fabulous to be here, David. Thank you for those kind words. And I'm excited about talking to your listeners. Thank you for, for US. <laughs> Today, we're solving the problem. You know, we, we chat quickly before the, 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 the podcast about this or before the live show. What is US solving? And he said, like, it's, it's solving that you get what you want from your business, which makes a lot of sense. And at everybody who's dealt with US, there are the six key components which you can see behind Mike on the orange wheel. And I'd love to run through the six components so people can get a better understanding on about uh, US. And maybe before we get into this, because I, I had this question a lot, like with which of the components do you start best? Like what's what's the one that did you start best? Maybe you walk through the six components and then yeah, that's good. Let's let's do the high-level overview, and then we can get into the specifics. I think it'll make more sense. I do want to talk a little bit about that get-what-you-want-from-your-business thing, because I meet a lot of entrepreneurs who feel like it that is an unnatural expectation, that they're supposed to be frustrated and feel stuck and and feel like their business is running them instead of running their business. And It's supposed to be hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And why, why, what do you mean? I'm supposed to get what I want from my business. That doesn't seem right. And so I just want to make sure everybody hears me say far too many entrepreneurs are trapped in their businesses and they don't have anybody to talk to about the challenges and frustrations and sleepless nights and, and disappointing people around you and, and all of that stuff. And if you're feeling that way, number one, you're normal. Somewhere between 90 and 95% of all businesses founded in this world fail in the first 10 years. And a lot of the ones that succeed are run and, and led by people who are not feeling very good about their quality of life. And it's Gino Wickman's mission and mine and everybody else affiliated with EOS Worldwide to fix that because we think there are set up pretty simple tools and disciplines that everybody, no matter what level of uh, mastery you have around business, can use to make things better. And so that's what I'm going to share with you and your listeners and watchers today is, is a simple set of tools that might help. That makes sense. And so to answer your uh, very specific question, when you implement EOS in your business, 
you're learning to look at your business through the lens of the EOS model. As you say, that's the, the wheel behind me here. And the EOS model is a way of looking at your business that says there are six things that you need to get really good at in order to run a truly great organization. And those six things we call the six key components. So it's the vision component is component number one. And that's getting everybody in the company 100% on the same page with where you're going and how you plan to get there. The second key component is the people component. And that's making sure you're able to attract and retain your definition of great people. And the trick there is the way you define a great person is different from the way all the other employers in your area define that. And so we've got to help you do that. The third component is called the data component, and that's running your business on facts and figures, using objective information to make better, faster decisions rather than either drowning in data, which is what a lot of companies are doing right now, or having no data whatsoever and running everything on gut feel. Okay. Once you're good at vision, people, and data, strong in those components, what happens is the whole organization becomes transparent and crystal clear. And so a bunch of issues get smoked out. And so the issues component is about getting really good at recognizing those issues as they arise and then setting them up, knocking them down, and making them go away forever rather than letting them linger for weeks, months, sometimes even years. Lifetimes. That's yes, or forever. I'm going to be stuck with that. The fifth key component is called the process or process component. And uh, that's about getting the most important things in the business done the right and best way every single time, even when you're not there to coach, manage, mentor people, or what we all do way too often. And, and David, I'm guessing you were guilty of this as much as I was. We nudge everybody else out of the way and just do it ourselves because it's easier that way. And then the last key component at the bottom of the model is called the traction component. And it's at the bottom of the model for a reason. Vision at the top, traction at the bottom, because no matter how compelling your vision, if you can't bring that vision down to the ground and execute on it day to day with discipline and accountability, you're not going to get anywhere and you're going to get frustrated. And so those are the six key components. And when you implement EOS, you're actually working at pretty much the same time on strengthening all six of them. Because the key is if you're not 80% strong in all six of those key components, you're going to have lots of issues that are really difficult to deal with. And so that's the journey. That makes sense. It makes absolute sense. And going back to the initial question that I had, like, where do you start? What, what do you implement first? And from my experience, I'm curious what you think about this. I found that implementing the level 10 meetings, which is a structured meeting format that touched upon a lot of the, the elements. So you have the rocks in there, which is like your 90 day plan. You have and So by having this meeting structure, this was like, for me, always the best way of getting started and implementing it. Yeah, certainly the, the, the process is over this shoulder. And so that document behind me, which is available at our website, eosworldwide.com, lays out exactly what order a professional EOS implementer teaches to his or her clients as, as they move through the process. But you nailed it. The level 10 meeting is one of the traction tools of EOS. There are two tools or disciplines in the traction component, which is about discipline and accountability. When we implement EOS with a leadership team, 
we actually don't start with the vision. We start with the stuff that helps you gain traction, that makes it clear to everybody on your team what you're accountable for, helps you prioritize a little better, and then puts in place a meeting pulse or a cadence for the leadership team to come together regularly and keep their scorecard numbers on track, their priorities or rocks on track, and drives accountability for executing well in your role on the accountability chart. So that's really where I recommend people start is all the stuff that helps give clear discipline and accountability to the leadership team. And then once the leadership team masters all that stuff, you can start migrating the use of those tools and processes down into the organization until everybody in the company is clear on the vision, executing well with discipline and accountability. Yeah, also, also, I found, I don't know if I read this in the book or if I came somewhere else, or if I came up with this, with, with the level 10 meeting, you see tangible results really, really fast. And this helps to get like buy-in from the entire team. Like, hey, this, this US stuff actually really works versus working on the vision is like something that people can't really grasp. Vision and mission, 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 mission values. Also, when the house is on fire, when people are struggling in the business, and then you come like, oh, yeah, let's do this woo-woo stuff first. And then people may be like, yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, and so in when we're when we are working on the traction stuff first with a client, one of the questions we'll get asked a lot, David, is, whoa, 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 why am I working all this stuff before we agree on our vision? Right. And because we implement EOS with companies that are up and running and they're just looking to get better at executing, they're not starting a business from scratch and imagining what they're trying to accomplish. What we're able to say is, We've got to root your vision in a firm foundation of discipline and accountability. Once everybody on the team knows what they're accountable for, then when we're having discussions about what our vision is, the person who's accountable for executing on that vision is going to speak up and say, I feel confident I can help us get there, or I think you're crazy. We're not going to be selling $2 billion worth of stuff all over the globe in three years. And so you're going to get your team on the same page with the vision for the organization when everybody's clear on what they're accountable for and how good we are at prioritizing. And so that's another reason to use tools like the level 10 meeting and rock setting and completion and scorecards first is because then you start to get a hang for, oh my goodness, I'm actually, it's not just writing a vision down on a piece of paper and saying, that's what we're going to go do. I'm going to be accountable for this. And so you really mean it when you finish the vision work in an EOS company as a member of the leadership team. With the vision and mission values at Maxi and my previous business, we we all were like, like, hey, let's just rather work on product and not think about this stuff that we thought mission, vision, values, you only need for a investor deck and then you bury it somewhere on the website. Like nobody needs this stuff. And we came to realize that this is actually the best management tool there is because we, we, we grew fairly fast and we, we had a clear mission and vision on why we're doing this, but we messed up by not telling this everybody in the organization. And then we grew really fast and then we uh, ended up running into 10 different directions. We hired a new head of sales who was running after enterprise clients, even though this was not really our focus. We hired a head of engineering who came from a big data provider and he wanted to, he built this crazy cool analytics engine on top of our software, which was cool only for 5% of our customers. Everybody else like, what, what are we doing with this? So we really ran in different directions. Nothing was moving anymore. And then we realized like, hey, this is actually because we don't have mission, vision, value set up. And then we implement this and then everything was, was kind of running smooth. And, and since then, I became such a vision, mission, values nerd and like really 
obsessing on like, how can I implement this in the business so everybody knows this and everybody can make decisions the same way the leadership team or we would make decisions. And I have a really cool example for this. A friend of mine founded Ring.com, the doorbell company, like this video. And I talked to his head of engineering about vision, mission, values who were nerding out on this. And he said, we have these floodlights that you put on the side of the house. And when somebody walks past the floodlights go on, then you can see them on your camera and say like, hey, what are you doing on my property? Leave or call the police, this type of thing, right? And one of his engineers came to him and said like, hey, we have these floodlight things. How about we turn, we, we program the party mode? So if you turn on party mode, the thing starts listening to the music since it has a microphone, then it flashes with, with the music. He thought that's the best idea ever, right? And he could have said like, no, this is a stupid idea. Just go back to your desk and keep, keep on working. And then this guy would have been discouraged and he probably would have never brought up you know, other ideas that he has. But he said, okay, that's cool. But what does this have to do with our mission, which is to make neighborhoods safer? Not a, and the engineer was like, oh yeah, you're right. And so like having this deep understanding, if like everybody in the organization knows what the mission, vision, and the goals are, then they will make the right decisions by themselves without even asking. And this is like... So David, there's so many lessons in what you just said. I couldn't agree more. And, and what, I, what I want the people watching to think about is everything we do is designed to be useful. One of the truisms of an entrepreneurial company is you don't have a lot of free time. That most of the clients that engage with me are already working 60 or 70 hours a week, sometimes more. They're feeling like they wish they could spend more time in their business because there's so much to do. And so if you have mission, vision, and values, or as we call it, a vision and a plan as articulated on the VTO, the reason to have it is so you can achieve your vision. You don't having a vision and not getting any closer to achieving it isn't valuable. And so, for example, the reason to have a set of core values is so you can get your leadership team 100% on the same page with the culture you want. And then once that happens, so you can hire people, review, reward, and recognize people, and when necessary, terminate people because they just don't share your core values. So those are a useful tool to drive culture and surround yourself with the people you want to hang out with for the rest of your career. They're not to be put on the wall behind the receptionist and impress somebody who walks into your office. That's worthless. It's worthless. And so, again, every ounce of energy you put into this system or others like it ought to be getting you one step closer to achieving your vision. I have two, two things with culture and hiring the right people that, that you may like. At MaxCDN, my, my previous business, which was a content delivery network, so very engineering driven, our first core value was build cool shit. Shit spelled with like, like hashtag and blowing. And we did this because we were like a crazy startup and we couldn't, we didn't want somebody who comes in with a suit and tie and wants to work because they would not be a culture fit. We want to repel them with, I don't want to work for a company who uses the word shit in their, their core values, right? And the other thing we wanted to get is like, we want to attract engineers who love to build cool shit, you know? So this is like kind of, kind of the idea. And now in my businesses, I always have at the last page of the, of the contract that they sign with us, we have listed all the core values and they have to initial next to each core value. And the idea is like, if you're not living up to those, it's a reason for termination. So every, like from the very start, we only want to attract the people who are really bought into our mission and vision and our values and know like, yeah, if I'm don't really feel this, then I should not, should not even join here. Yeah, that's a great story. Great story. That's exactly right. If you, if you build it, use it. 
And if you don't use it, you're either tolerating people who don't fit your culture or it's a suggestion at best. So, And then also, you know, go on and on. I'm very passionate about this, as, as, you, as you can feel. With also with mission, mission values, it's the best management tool to explain every decision that you make, ideally tie it back to a mission, vision, or value too. So you really hammer this into people's heads that everybody can... Well, and, and if you do that three or four times, what happens is your people quit asking you to depart from the mission, vision, values because they're able to go analyze the decisions they're making every day through the lens of your vision and plan. And that takes pressure off the leaders, the mid-managers as your organization grows. It just makes independent decision-making more palatable. And that's one of the things I hear a lot is entrepreneurs will say to me all the time, hey, Peyton, I started this business to be free, man. I don't want a bunch of rules around here. And when you have 100 people, if you want to keep being free, you'll equip them with a set of tools they need to make better independent decisions that perpetuate your company's vision. Otherwise, your employees are free as hell because all they do is come find the owner and ask the owner what to do 100% of the time. <laughs> costing. That's why you're not free. I love it. So I couldn't agree with you. What's next? We had the, the vision part. We talked about the people part. And you have like cool tools like the, the right people in the right seats, some 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 analyzers, et cetera. We, we don't have I don't want to take up too much of your time because we have a lot of other, other steps. So, But there's like yeah, awesome tools in the US that, that people can use. What's the next one in, in order? So we have vision, people. In order, as we talk about them, it's the data components. And again, that's running the business on objective information, a handful of numbers that give you an absolute pulse on your business, help you predict the results you're going to get next month or next quarter, and therefore make better, stronger, faster decisions that'll keep your numbers on track predict and deliver better results, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A couple of tools and disciplines there as we teach the leadership team to implement a simple five to 15 number scorecard that they review on a weekly basis in their level 10 meeting. And those five to 15 numbers are leading indicators, activities-based numbers that predict future results. And so if you see a leading indicator to sales results off track, you can react to that off track leading indicator in time to correct people's behaviors and get better results before they hit your bottom line. That's our approach to strengthening the data component. And I love the data component like nobody's business. For me, the, when you strengthen the data component of your business and everybody in the organization has at least one number that dovetails up to a team or department or organizational scorecard, you're running your company the way a great championship sports team runs itself, where they're looking at people's body fat mass index and heart rate and, and their workout quality. And, and every player is accountable for his or her own performance, practice regimen, and fitness so that the head coach or the assistant coaches don't have to be accountable for all that stuff because everybody's taking personal responsibility for keeping their own numbers on track. That is nirvana for a leader and manager. And that's why I'm so passionate about the data component. There's two, two other things I'm, I'm, I really love, love about this. Like one is the transparency that it gives you. If you review this on a regular basis, like weekly in the level 10 meetings, 
always go over this. So there's like no hiding. It's like living up to this. And the other thing is that the, the person who's responsible for a number finally can know, am I doing a good job or not in the business? Because often like people just work and work and work and work hard, but they can't really tell like, am I doing a good job or not? And so I kind of like like having that. What, do you, what are the top five leading indicators that, that you see? Is it number of leads? Is it number of calls set up? I guess revenue, I guess deals closed. Yeah, I... My head is a compartmentalizing head. And so I always think about it in terms of the major functions of a business. So for marketing and sales, it's the activities you engage in that create qualified leads. And that's a different thing for all different kinds of companies, right? Some it's events, some it's social media content, some it's outbound calls, whatever. And then for sales, it's whatever your sales process or sales funnel looks like, what's at the top of the funnel? We've got to identify a target market prospect is step one. We've got to make an initial contact attempt with a decision maker at that target market prospect is step two. If we make contact and they hear us out, step three is scheduling a meaningful meeting with them to discuss fit potential. Step four is a proposal, step five. And so that's what we do with our clients. We walk them through all the processes in their major uh, functions that lead to the results you want. And it is from that conversation that the best leading indicators come. There's a direct correlation between the data and the process component in that the more you are aware of the best way to do everything that's important in your business, the better you're going to be at identifying leading indicators. Also, what I love about the level 10 meetings that you go over it and then if a number is off, you don't really talk about it, just move it to the IDS so you can talk about the stuff that actually matters in the meeting so you don't like just spend a bunch of time on like something that's like actually not really the, the meaningful. That might bear a conversation here. So imagine you've got a 5 to 15 number scorecard in your weekly level 10 meeting with your leadership team. And for each of those metrics, you're looking at 13 weeks of history at a glance. So you can see patterns and trends. And and last week, you said you were going to send out eight proposals, each worth $40,000 on average, because that's what you need to do to hit your uh, quarterly sales goal, right? And last week, you did six. So if I'm the head of sales, when we're reviewing that scorecard number, the person running the meeting says, sales proposals on track or off track, and I have to say out loud in front of my fellow leaders, off track. And what we do there is we drop that number down to the issues list, and then later when we're prioritizing and solving issues, all our off track scorecard numbers are on that list, and we're going to IDS, which stands for Identify, Discuss, and Solve, just a way of solving issues at the root. We're going to get right to the root of why we didn't hit our proposals number last week. And I'm going to take a to-do, a seven-day action item, to go fix it and get that number back on track next week. There's no hiding from an off-track number when you're running your business on data. This is what I love with the, with the, with the to-do part that they have to complete in the next seven days. It's like somebody commits to doing something, it's there, you can't hide from it. And I even like using the level 10 model with customers. 
because like often like a customer is supposed to get your xyz like and then if it's in there it's not you have to bring it up and make them feel bad it's just it's there and they have to live up to it so um, i'm a huge fan about this and a friend of mine very successful businessman he told me sanjeev situ who founded founded o2 communications and uh, i2 technologies he told me the perfect question to ask a salesperson when they're not hitting the numbers he asked me like what, what's the perfect question i came up with a bunch of and then he said like no the best one is to ask them when did you notice it first that you're off track because this, if people ask themselves always this, then they know that they have to have their forecasting in line. They can come to you for help. It's not like uh, the month runs out and then like, oopsie. Like it's, it's, it's yeah, a really powerful question. I, I use it all the time. So the next part would be... Next component is issues. And an issue is not just a problem, challenge, or roadblock. It's anything we as a team need to talk about to achieve our vision. It could be an opportunity, an idea, a piece of information that's valuable and is going to make us better. Those are issues. And so to strengthen the issue-solving ability of the business, we use two tools and disciplines. The first one is a very simple issues list, which while there are some tactical components is really about cultural change in your organization. In most organizations, people are reluctant to admit when we've got an issue we need to solve. I'm afraid as an individual contributor to admit to my boss or my coworkers that I don't know how to do my job. When a customer is upset with us and I'm the person they're talking to, I'm going to try really hard to fix it myself, but if I can't fix it myself, I'm terrified to go tell other people. And so what we're really trying to do is we're trying to teach the entire organization, starting at the leadership team level, that it's really healthy and valuable to change the culture to celebrate when somebody has the courage to speak up and say, we're not perfect. I need help. We've got a problem. And so that's step one. Step two is when people are bringing issues to the table, you got to teach everybody in the organization, again, starting at the leadership level, how to solve those issues at the root and make them go away forever rather than wrapping duct tape and twine around them and shoving them into the corner of the office and hoping they don't blow up on you. And so we teach this discipline IDS that helps the leadership team get right to the root of why they have the issue in the first place identify an action and an owner for that action to solve it and make it go away forever. Super simple, but very powerful discipline. We took it to one step further with the error culture to really celebrate the errors that we have. And I'm curious, what what do you think about this? We have an error log where we add every error, every customer complaint, every mess up, like everything that goes wrong, we add to this error log. And then in the IDS or like in the in, in the meeting, after we go through the KPIs, we look at the error log and then we see what came up. And the error log is like which customers affected, who reported it, what, what happens, which process can we improve, is it solved or not? And then we like drill into which process do we have to optimize to 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 solve this. So because errors are no problem, like mess ups are totally cool. If we do the same one over and over, then we have to talk. But we, nobody gets in trouble for admitting an error. But you get in serious trouble if you don't add the error to the to the error log. You know, so this is like the thing that, that that we came up with, and it's working really well. That's a, that's a lovely that's a lovely way of looking at it, and and it and it's completely aligned with what we're trying to teach. The culture in most 
organizations is you're terrified of these things that aren't perfect. And if you can't be comfortable, I mean, as a human, much less an organization, if you can't be comfortable with imperfection, you're never going to approach perfection, right? Because we're not, none of us is perfect. So you got it exactly right. I'm actually always happy, even so, sounds sounds weird, but I'm, I'm happy for every mistake. So we, we have the opportunity to, to fix this. I'm happy for every mess up that we are aware of. So we can like, moving forward, we can, it's like a machine that has like a, like a gear that's not really turning. And the, the idea is always that we are a self-healing machine. We always get better and better and better and better and better with, with each iteration that we do. And from the business's perspective, if you catch it before the customer gets it, yes, it, the impact of the error is so much lower. And so you should be celebrating these things. You should be celebrating the customer that calls to complain rather than just leaving and finding a competitor because then you have an opportunity to get better as opposed to just wondering why your customers are leaving out the back door. I couldn't agree more. Yes. Customer success mindset. Perfect. Issues list, IDS, airlock. what's next? Uh, process or process, depending on what uh, part of the world you're from and whether you use Queen's English or someone else's. The And the good news is a co-author uh, by the name of Lisa Gonzalez and I are working on the book to strengthen the process component, part of the trash library right now. Super passionate about this too. So in an EOS company, we believe that getting the handful of core processes that make you and your organization uniquely valuable to the world, documented, simplified, and followed by all, will free the owner, leadership team, and managers of the organization up to concentrate their time, energy, wisdom, experience on taking the business to the next level. And so we take a 2080 approach to documenting and simplifying all those core processes, just a handful, things like your uh, talent or people process, your marketing process, your sales process, a handful of operating processes, an accounting process, a process for the way you run your business like EOS. Do you all agree how you're going to do those things every day at a high level? Can you write them down? And then can we agree to use those tools as basic training aids for our brand new people in the organization? We document the 20% of the steps that get the 80% of the results. We do not believe in 500-page SOP manuals with a set of rigid guidelines that tell everybody exactly how to do everything. We're just trying to bring a little bit of structure discipline, consistency, and accountability to doing it the right way every time. And that's the process. Component. Yeah, I'm, I'm a total SOP nerd. And like two things that you didn't mention, I really love about SOPs is when you scale, when you add new people, when somebody fires, somebody, somebody leaves, whatever, somebody's sick, getting somebody new in does not destroy the life of the manager for, for, for a while, right? So from, from the scaling component, this is just like super, super valuable. And the second thing, once you write something down, you find so many imperfections in that. Like so many like, oh, like this is actually three departments touched. There's like, no, we should like do this here. It's like, it's, it's so, so valuable. It's actually really doing them is quite a lot of work. And it's like really painful actually to do them, in my opinion. And especially when you, when you're the owner of the company, first initially I started like, okay, I just kind of did it myself. And then I thought like, no, I just like have all the department heads. Everybody just describes their, their processes. And it was like, oh my God, everything got so much easier. <laughs> so it's like... As much as anything, 
I think the key is getting the leadership team engaged in the value of this exercise and getting the visionary founder of the organization to acknowledge that while it was great to just naturally and instinctively figure out the best way to do everything as you were growing this business from scratch and you didn't need to teach anybody else how to do it, we now have 10 or 40 or 70 people and that approach to running our business is no longer the right way to do it. And so that's what we're trying to do with this book is appeal to the most visionary people in your organization and say, not only is this not going to ruin the entrepreneurial spirit you've always wanted this business to uh, exude, but it's going to perpetuate it because you and the rest of the entrepreneurial people in your organization aren't going to have to get sucked into the tall grass the way you have the last couple of years when your, your frontline people don't know how to do the basic work the way you figured out how to do it five or seven or 11 years ago. That's what the mission is with the process component. Funny story. When we sold our last business, MaxDN, it was bought by, by StackPath. And the founder of StackPath had a very large business before software, which was sold to IBM for two point some billion dollars. And I became the CMO of the business, of, of the business that bought us. They bought like a few other businesses. And I was putting together the brand and I always pulled the CEO into meetings, showing like, okay, this is what we're doing, this is where we are, getting his feedback. And he sat through like three meetings. It's like, okay, that's great. And then left. This was like his only comment. I'm like, after the third time I took him aside, like, dude, like, am I messing up? Like, don't you care? Like, what the heck? Like, what's going on? It's like, no, I only have three things that I have to do in this business. Number one is I have to make sure we have enough money. So I raise money, make sure money's coming in. The second thing is I have to hire smart people that are much better than me for the uh, department heads. And the third thing I have to do is preach the mission and the vision like a parrot to the outside world and to the inside world. And I was like, holy cow. It was like, I was like, before I was in the mindset of like, like stirring the pot everywhere, being involved in everything. And now that I'm using EOS and I actually have a portfolio of businesses and I'm not involved in day to day in most of them. And everything is running smoothly, which would have been never, actually, I think it cost like so many stress insecurities and drama and chaos by always jumping in and like no 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 let's do this and people kind of like getting stuck and and so yes yeah, like super helpful and it, you learned the power of letting go and you also probably learned that as long as long as somebody who works for you feels like you need to be involved in their decision making they won't take responsibility for their own decision making it's just too easy to come to David and ask his opinion every time I have it. Yeah, this is broken. Like, please help now. I was like, no, like you own this. This is your thing. And it's like really empowering for them. And then you really see people blossom. And like, like holy cow, was, would have never thought this person is capable of doing this if you really empower them. And it's like the letting go part is, is pretty, was pretty tough in the beginning. But it's like it takes like an investment into this person and it takes the trust into this person. And when they like, getting them to this point, letting go. Like, even if they make some mistakes, you would have done it better, but like, otherwise it does not scale. You know, that's... Agreed. So that, that brings us to the traction component. We talked a good deal about that, but there's two things I want to share about instilling discipline and accountability throughout the organization. Before I go there, I want to say something to the people watching who own companies and who are visionary entrepreneurs, because that audience hears me talk about discipline and accountability in public speaking events all over the world, 
And what I like to ask those groups of people is I say, how many of you just heard me say discipline and accountability and sat back in your chair and thought, that's exactly what I need EOS to help the rest of my people do. And everybody raises their hand and I say, good, because I'm coming for you. And so the, the big point I want to make is what we do when we implement EOS in an organization, we make sure the leadership team is accountable first and disciplined and focused on the right stuff. Because it's really difficult to drive accountability into the rank and file if the leadership team's not focused on the right stuff, executing with discipline and accountability. And the two tools we find most helpful there are something we call ROCKS, which is a term coined by Stephen Covey and popularized by Vern Harnish. But in an EOS company, a ROCK is a 90-day business priority. And what that means is we ask the leadership team to identify the three to seven most important goals for this quarter, every single quarter, to clearly articulate, write a smart rock defining exactly what done looks like 90 days from now, assign a single person to own each of those rocks on the leadership team, and leave the meeting crystal clear on the companies and each member of the team's three to seven priorities for the quarter. And that drives clarity, focus, discipline, and accountability like nobody's business. And ultimately, we migrate the 90-day world that creates for the organization down into the company so that everybody has at least one rock a quarter. That's the first thing we do. And then the other thing we do is implement that level 10 meeting pulse on top of the 90-day world that you talked about earlier. So each week we're checking in on scorecard numbers being on track, rocks being on track, customer and employees being happy. Are we completing our to-dos and are we prioritizing and resolving our issues? And with those two tools and disciplines, we're driving real discipline and accountability top to bottom, side to side throughout the organization. It makes a huge difference and it starts at the top. I'm in love. Level 10 meetings, it's just like the whole system it just really works. Another thing I love about the level 10 meetings, because like I forgot about this like countless times before, is the cascading messages. You know, it's kind of like it's like at, at the end, you kind of like take take a note notes on like what do I have to share with the rest of the organizations or customers or whatever. And then we've made a bunch of decisions. We've solved a bunch of issues. We've agreed amongst ourselves what we're going to go do. Are we all clear on who we're going to tell, how we're going to tell them, and when we're going to tell them when we leave this room is, the, is what cascading messages is. And that's a step that a lot of lousy meetings leave out. And so it's critical that you all leave that meeting crystal clear on the communication rules. Otherwise, what happens is the head of sales goes and announces something to everybody on their team that the rest of the leaders think we're keeping confidential for a month. And really bad stuff starts to happen. Been there multiple times. <laughs> the other thing, which is also super cool, is you know why the level ten meetings are called level ten meetings. Because at the end, we ask like around the room from zero to ten, please rate the meeting. If it's below an eight, please tell the rest of the group why it's below an eight. You know, like having this transparency and openness, and like this culture of just just having having this right. Yeah. And and for the record, I have a funny story about that. So one of my best friends in business in one of the entrepreneurial companies I ran, when he found out I was an EOS implementer and, 
had a thriving practice and he asked me what I was doing for a living. And I, I simplified it by saying, well, mostly I'm helping people run meetings for a living. And he, and he said, he said, wait, nobody on the planet hates meetings more than you, Peyton. How could, how can this be your career? And I, and I say, yeah, I did hate meetings, but now what I make, my point is what most people do when they're in a company that runs lousy meetings is if they talk about it at all, it's one off after the meeting, the two people who are most upset go meet at the bar and they complain about everybody else. And what we do with the meeting rating at the end is we're asking you if the meeting was bad, say why so we can all work together to make it better. That's the purpose of rating the meeting. So the leadership team to work can work together to make every meeting a level 10 you deserve that. It should be the most important, efficient, and valuable part of your week, not a waste of time that everybody dreads. Yeah, bad meetings are so bad for morale, and we have a bunch of stuff to do. And it's like just the cost of the, if you if ten people in a meeting, the hourly cost of like these people bringing them together is just it's it's extreme. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Very cool. I think we're through with the six parts, right? Yep. Awesome. 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 So yeah, for sure. We have, I have a few more questions that I want to ask you and then some audience questions in terms of the size of the comp co company, you know, like in which company size do you think it makes sense to implement EOS? And I now, now that I'm aware of it, like even if I start a new business, I can like start with getting the VTO done, et cetera. Like, like, you know, kind of like it's, it's, I can't live without it anymore, but where do you think like from where to where and like, at what is there a point where it breaks? Like if it's like. So it, EOS was built for companies that are privately held, have between 10 and 250 people and whose owners and leaders are growthy oriented, open-minded, more afraid of the status quo than they are of change, want help, want to be open, honest, and vulnerable with their people. So there's some size and structure characteristics that are important, and there's some sort of psychographic tendencies that are really important. There are plenty of companies larger than 250 employees, plenty of companies smaller than 250 employees, and plenty of companies that aren't privately held that run on EOS. What's really important is that the people in charge really want to run their business this way. If that's not the case, it really doesn't work. Everything else is a matter of preference and how important it is to, to do this stuff. So that's that's the ideal starting point. Yeah, with with one of my businesses we're we're above two fifty, but it still works great. <laughs> so it's like Yeah. Well the bigger the company gets, the more complex it gets. And EOS favors a very simple model. So if you have a lot of people who don't like anything that's simple and it everything's gotta be matrixed and confusing and and really smart, I mean EOS is a pretty tough system, but that's why I always just simplify it and say, if you're, if this is the leadership team and you guys are in charge, you got to really want, run your, want to run your business this way. And this is going to work. Simplicity is the highest form of sophistication. I think it's Leonardo da Vinci. And then other favorite quotes that I really love from Albert Einstein is every intelligent fool can make things more bigger more violent and more complex. It takes a touch of genius to go the other way. You know, so I'm like, I'm a huge fan of of keeping it simple. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm honored that in a conversation with me, you <laughs> thought of both Da Vinci and Einstein. That doesn't happen there. 
because I, I never used an implementer. I just read the book and like because of my previous experience with, with business, like going through the having realizing that we don't have a mission vision that this is why so many stuff is breaking and like also with the with with the rocks we we also had similar problems and we we implemented these these things ourselves like definitely not as good as what you have there so i didn't feel a need for an implementer because it came very natural to me to to implement this in the business but what do you say like implementer yes no how do you make this decision you know yeah so this eos is a simple system full of practical tools and concepts most business leaders have heard about before. And it was built in a way where you and your leadership team could implement it with the basic tools we provide to leadership teams and entrepreneurial companies. That said, there are some real advantages to using a professional. And the only thing I would beg your listeners to commit to even if their intention is to self-implement from the start, is I would beg them to reach out to me or one of my fellow professional EOS implementers around the globe. We have more than 400 people on five continents in 22 countries. I would beg them to reach out to a professional implementer and do a 90-minute meeting with one of us before you begin the journey. There's no charge for that meeting, but what it's going to do is it's going to paint a picture for you and your team of what done looks like when you've implemented EOS. It's like having the cover of a jigsaw puzzle box when you're doing the jigsaw puzzle yourself. And that meeting is also the best way for a leadership team to answer the question for themselves, should we do this ourselves and and do it with a professional implementer? The couple of advantages to using a and implementer are as follows. Number one, we are experts on EOS implementation. And while it's simple, it isn't always easy. And so what's going to happen on your implementation journey is you're going to come up with a bunch of stuff that your leadership team isn't sure how to do. And they're going to be looking at you as the self-implementer member of the leadership team to give them the answer you're not really going to know the answer. So it's convenient to have an expert in the room. It takes the pressure off of you to know the right answer. Okay. Number two, I think it's a lot harder to make important change happen at a fundamental level from within a leadership team. And for no other reason than you have to live with your people for the 89 days between session one and session two. And I don't. So if somebody needs to hear, hey, Bill, you're being a jerk and the rest of your leadership team is frustrated with you right now, it can be easier for a team member to have somebody like me say that than you have to say that. The fallout is less severe. So that's another uh, reason. And then lastly, my longtime clients who decide to do this stuff themselves and then come back to me and ask me to run all of their sessions or some of their sessions, they do it simply because it's really hard to both participate in a meeting and it's you're constantly switching hats. And so those are the couple of advantages. But I urge anybody who's interested in this stuff to buy the five books and at least Traction and maybe some of the other books in the Traction library, read the books, download the free tools on our website, use the other tools available to you, and use a professional EOS implementer for a 90-minute meeting, and then you make up your mind what makes the most sense for you. And they can find them on EOS Worldwide. 
Fun tech, yeah. Based on region, etc. Yes. It's a one-stop shop for everything you need. You can find not only the tools, but also people like me. Then any recommendations for, since you said you're nerding out on a new book about processes, any tools that you like, like a process street or like any like documentation tools too? Yeah, so... So the pure EOS teaching is simpler is better, but what we're seeing more and more these days is simple isn't always a one to three page Word document with a series series of bulleted checklists. And so we're seeing more workflow documentations, animated process decks where things actually move on the screen. And then a lot of clients are transitioning to a video process decks where basically if there's a way to screw on a lug nut to a tire, you simply videotape it, put it in a training library full of videotapes, and that becomes, so yes, I'm a big fan of any tool that automates teaching the people in your business how to do the most important things the right and best way every time. I personally don't have a favorite or a a tool I don't like, I, I just urge my clients to go research the options out there and, and pick the the tool. Fits for them. Same for like running level 10 meetings. There's like 90.io and there's like a bunch of stuff out there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There are there are two official licensed partners of EOS Worldwide, Traction Tools and 90.io. And EOS Worldwide itself is beta testing now a, a software application called that will that will automate the back end of an EOS implementation as well. So lots of options. Pick the one that fits you best is the right answer there. I before I actually one of my businesses is UpCoach, which is a, a a tool to allow coaches to run their coaching better and since i'm an eos nerd i built a few elements in you can like have like a meeting uh, and ag- agenda builder so you can like build your own level 10 meetings and we use it to run our our business as well and you can have like online courses for the process documentation kind of like training of people etc so it's it's yeah yeah it's, it's it's what i am i feel like i'm living at a very fortunate time and that stuff that people used to avoid doing like the plague because it was so much work and so few people would get benefit from it. Like documenting SOPs in a 700-page manual now is being done with technology where it costs less money, takes less time, and has a bigger impact within week rather than taking forever. And so I just think the speed of business is increasing at an amazing velocity right now. And, and it, it is important for leaders to stay connected to the things that are making formerly difficult, time-consuming activities much easier and much more effective. One example, loom.com, where you can just like take a screen recording while you see um, the picture of the person teaching it. And it's just like, it's so quick, boom, you have a link to share, boom, embedded in the document. Right. And if you're not, worried about that being perfect, one take does it, right? Where I see a lot of people getting caught up is they want to make everything perfect. And so they won't roll out their recording until they've done it exactly the right way with all the right words and with no ums and ahs and etc. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I would much rather you roll out something that's 80% of the way there and improve it over time, then ready, aim, 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 aim. 
Yeah. Yeah, iterative approach. Also with the SOPs, you're gonna change them up all the time anyway. So don't don't fall into this trap. Awesome. So now we come to audience questions. If anybody's on, on the live stream and you can leave a comment, I should see these uh, the responses or the questions they have here in in the chat in this restream.io, which I'm using, which is working pretty awesomely. So the question I got before when I asked on social media from a bunch of people, people sent me emails because it's a big topic right now. Remote first companies, and we're also remote first company and global teams with people all over the globe. Like how do you run your level 10 meetings? Can you run them asynchronously? You know, I read that GitLab is, I think is doing it that way. And I'm curious, you take like, what are the best practices? What are you seeing? Like, can it be done asynchronously? Do you have to have the in-person meetings? Of course, they're good for culture and team and communication, but like, does it work? Yeah. Well, so I, EOS Worldwide is a remote team and I was the visionary for EOS Worldwide for a little over five years. And we ran all of our weekly level TED meetings uh, remotely. We ran all of our quarterly and annual meetings in person. There is something about culture and team building and open and honest communication and healthy resolution of conflict that works better without a screen between participants. But I would tell you in the last year with the requirement that we all spend more time working remotely, what I've come to discover, it is far easier to run a healthy, fully engaged virtual meeting with everybody participating via Zoom or whatever application you use, as long as everybody agrees to follow a handful of very simple rules. And one of those rules is you have to behave as though you're in the same room with everybody. And if you're one of those people who thinks you can get away with pretending you're paying attention because you're not in the room with your teammates, you need to know that we can tell when you're staring at your lap for seven minutes that you're not paying attention to what's going on, right? And so so I, it just requires full engagement. And what I've learned over the last year as an old guy using technology, David, is that as long as we're all willing to sacrifice and fully engage with one another, whether you're in the room together or connecting via a screen, you can run a great meeting. Yeah, we, we have like rules like video camera has to be on, for a mic cannot be muted, etc. You're saying even like start typing, you hear it or whatever. But like in terms of having it asynchronously, for example, like running it in, in a form or just leaving comments some because like because my business partner is moving moving to Singapore right now and he's he's in Europe, but he's moving to Singapore. Head of sales is in Los Angeles. I'm in Turkey, so we're gonna have like some definite time zone zone issues. So, the, so here's what I'd say about that. I haven't seen that work, and here's why. And it goes back to old school technology, right? One of the reasons Gina was so passionate about this 90 minute meeting pulse every week, where you're coming together as a leadership team, is he saw a lot of teams trying to share information in meetings and solve issues via email. This was a long time ago, okay? I realize a lot of your listeners don't even know what email is or don't use it a lot, okay? But what we believe is when you need to solve an issue, let's just say ops is frustrated with sales and the person in charge of finance has an opinion, the only way you can resolve that issue without anything else needing to happen is you get all the stakeholders in the room 
you roll up your sleeves, you look one another in the eye, and you have a conversation until you resolve the issue. That's why I think synchronous work. You can't do that via chat or via conference. You just can't. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's 1130 your time, so you're, somebody's going to have to do this, right? It's, it's 1230, and I, I have no problem with this. All right, cool. Reason, another question from the audience was a reasonable expectation on percentage of completed rocks in the business, like overall, like how much should be 80% of the rocks be done? Like what's, what, what's good? 80%. 80%. Yeah, a highly accountable team completes 80% of their rocks every quarter. A highly accountable person completes 80% of their rocks every quarter. The reason for 80% versus 90 or 100 is when you set your completion standard too high, you tend to be less aggressive with your rock setting. So if you, if you set the standard at 100%, you're going to convince people that they should never sign up for anything they aren't sure they can complete. That's just not realistic in an entrepreneurial company. So 80% is the answer. Perfect. And then how to get buy-in from everybody in the company? What's like, for, my, for me, it was always like level 10 because this is like the quickest thing. People see results and then they have buy-in, so like believing that the other stuff that's in there makes sense as well. Yeah. What, what, what hacks and tips do you have? So uh, you're going to invite a little Peyton rant here, which the people who know me best know is inevitable in any conversation. So I actually hate the term buy-in with a passion. Because to me, it implies that there's some amount of money you should pay me to pretend I believe in the same things you believe in as a business owner. So what we talk about is getting your vision shared by all. And so what that means is once the leadership teams answered the eight questions on the VTO, the vision traction organizer, and you have your core values, core focus, 10-year target, marketing strategy, three-year picture, one-year plan, quarterly rocks, and issues list all built, we want you as a leadership team to stand up in front of everybody in your company and tell them where the company's going, how you plan to get there, and what they can do to help you achieve your vision. And then we want you to do that every quarter for the next seven quarters because we believe people need to hear you seven times to really hear you for the first time. And when you do that, after seven quarters, everybody who wants to help you stays and everybody who doesn't want to help you or doesn't care leaves. And that's what vision shared by all means. I don't want my leadership team spending any time or energy convincing someone they're right about the vision. I just want them to share the vision and let people make their own decisions. Life is too short to try and convince somebody to stay in your rowboat if they really want to sh swim for the shore. Let them swim for the shore. That's how I'll buy it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. You should not hold travelers back. So it's like, well, awesome. And then the last one we have here in the comments is should, it's about the, the level 10 meetings and like, should people go over, like spell out like each rock, each KPI, should everything be vocalized, each rock and each KPI, et cetera? Should, you know, should everybody should read through it quietly in the attitude or should people kind of present it? Yeah. So in the level 10, when you're reviewing your scorecard measurables, the right pulse is this. If I'm running the meeting, I simply read the number. So the number is, say, uh, number of qualified leads. So I say number of qualified leads, 
the person who's accountable for generating qualified leads looks at the scorecard and if they hit their number, they say out loud on track and or they say out loud off track. And the reason I like it vocalized, the reason we teach you vocalize it is because if you're human and accountable and you say off track two or three weeks in a row, it's awful and you're personally motivated to get it back on track. That's why the vocalization is important. So I'd say do that with both Scork and Rocks and your meetings will be better. I love it. It makes, makes so much sense. And the last question I have for you is, do you have other any other secrets, hacks, tricks, similar to the error log that we have implemented in our business that others are using that, you, that you've seen that's not part of the book, something that you think, okay, that, that's really awesome. Expertise is doing this. Like, give, give me the good stuff. Well, that's another reason to use a professional implementer. I probably have 280 of those. But I'm going to share one with you that just came up recently with a client. They had a team of people that was struggling to come up with individual scorecarding metrics because they felt like most teams that was only fair to be held accountable for the things that they could completely control. Okay. I don't want you measuring that because I don't completely control the outcome. Okay. And so one of the tricks I like to have teams like that do is take a simple legal pad out Draw a line down the center of the legal pad so it's got two columns. Write good week at the top of the left column and lousy week at the top of the right column and ask every member of the team to write down all the things that happened in the last good week they had in the department. And then have them write down a list of all the things that happened in the last lousy week they had in the department and you will have to endure a lot of jokes about how they can't remember the last good week but they're going to be writing down a bunch of stuff about this week for the second column but when you do that everybody writes like crazy and you end up with two columns on the whiteboard with like 25 things you could measure on a weekly basis and you just have to go through and pick a handful of things that make sense to start measuring And all of a sudden, you've built your first iteration of a departmental scorecard for a team of people who aren't comfortable being accountable for anything. That's really cool. Answers another question that came up once you started talking that like I heard a lot of times: KPIs for developers. Like, with with it's it's hard to come come up with because like sales is very clear to measure, op stuff is more clear to measure. But with developers, like, yeah, do you have like anything that come comes up standard and then with with the tip that you just gave, I guess we could figure it out, but do, have you seen like the standard KPIs for this? Well, so yeah, and the way I, the way this usually comes up in a session with the leadership team is the head of sales and the head of dev are arguing because we never release anything on time and you're running an agile shop. And so you've got a series of two week sprints and I'm not going to commit to a product release in 90 days because I don't know What's going to happen when we're doing our story work and so on? So I see clients solve this problem in several different ways. The first thing I'll do is I'll talk to the leader of Dev and I'll say, listen, you got to understand the business cannot operate if you can't make any representation about what you can build when. And so 
run agile in the background, but you got to meet us halfway towards being able to say, I think it's reasonable to have a minimum viable product in market by September, right? And so I try and get them to move a little ways. And then I'll just say to the head of dev, what do you task your people with doing on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis? And they'll say things like, well, they've got to complete sprints or they got, they've got milestones in their task list that they've got to hit. They had three tasks due last week. And I'll say, well, how many did they complete? Two of three. So is 67% task completion acceptable to you? No, it's not. Well, maybe that's the number you measure, percentage of tasks completed last week. And so, again, it's just a conversation. This technique manifested a slightly different way. You can't move an organization forward without evaluating whether the quantity and quality of work done on a regular basis met or exceeded your expectations. And you just got to figure out a way to do that that's reliable and consistent. And then you're going to keep iterating as you go until you settle on exactly the right thing. One last thing, David, I'll say, when you have 20 people reporting to you, it might be that you score each of them a little differently because their jobs are different or what they need to work on is different too. So I would urge the tech leaders out there to think about personalizing the scorecard for their people a little bit. If you run sales, a seasoned sales rep maybe isn't going to have the same scorecard week to week as somebody who's brand new and just needs to be reminded to go hit the phones and dial for dollars, if that makes sense. Yeah, this makes sense. It's really good. Like this was really, really awesome. I could go on for another two hours, but I want to be mindful of your time. This was like really, really super stoked. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Anything you want to share with the audience, something you want to pitch, some other tools, resource you want to recommend? Yeah. One passionate plea. If you're feeling stuck or frustrated and you're not getting everything what from your business that you want, find help. And if what I shared with you today sounds appealing, go to eosworldwide.com and learn more. And feel free to reach out personally to me, mpayton, P-A-T-O-N, at eosworldwide.com. And I'll either help you myself or direct you to somebody in your neighborhood that can help. That's all I really have to share. I just want you to get what you want from your business. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming. Is your sales team spending too much time researching leads and accounts? We take over all the labor-intensive sales development tasks so your team can focus on building relationships and closing more deals. We don't just build lists. We take a strategic research-based approach to find your team qualified leads every day. Ready to start? Schedule your free consultation at taskdrive.com. That's T-A-S-K-D-R-I-V-E.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.